Building a Low Earth Orbit Economy. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Phil McAllister, Director of Commercial Spaceflight at NASA. Welcome, Phil. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. What does NASA mean by commercial low Earth orbit economy? What is your vision and what are the ingredients and how is NASA working to enable it? Yeah, that's a that's a very broad question, but it's a good question because um, a lot of people don't understand what we're trying to do in low Earth orbit. And essentially, if you think about it, historically, NASA has been pretty much the sole activity person or activity organization in low Earth orbit, meaning we were both the supplier of hardware in low Earth orbit and also the user of that hardware as well. So most of the activity for in terms of human spaceflight in low Earth orbit was done by NASA or other um, countries' governments. We are experiencing right now a very fundamental and historic transformation in low Earth orbit, where now businesses are now providing hardware supply, and they're also being users of that hardware. And the government is sort of transitioning to be just one of many users, and we would like to be out of the business of providing hardware to low, low Earth orbit. So really, it's NASA and more broadly the government transitioning an area that used to be at our sole domain to more of business to business activity, more of an economic uh, engine, uh, as, if you will, in terms of the activity that's going on in low Earth orbit. So what we want to see long term in terms of the vision is that NASA will probably always have a toehold in low Earth orbit, but we would like to spend the majority of our time and resources and energy pushing out into the solar system, going into deep space where there isn't necessarily a profit motive or incentive for private industry right now, either because it's too expensive or you can't see um, any kind of market activity right now in Mars, but you can see it in low Earth orbit. We've been um, sending people to low Earth orbit now for decades. And we think that that mission now is it's time for that mission to transition to the private sector. It's more, um, it's, it's sort of more easy to do. I don't want to say it's ever easy. Human spaceflight is really, really challenging, but it's something that doesn't have to be done by governments. We've seen now that companies can do this on a more regular basis. And that's what we'd like to do. And that's what we mean by the low earth orbit economy. And this all builds on your leadership at NASA to improve how the agency gets cargo and crew to the International Space Station using commercial companies and fixed price contracts. What challenges did you face in those programs and how are you applying it to the current effort? So that's another great question. I would say the challenges were really in two areas. There was cultural challenges as well as technical challenges. And on the cultural side, if you think about it, for the first four decades of NASA's existence, we did things one way, whereas we owned the hardware, the space hardware, we made all the design decisions, um, we paid for all the hardware ourselves. Um, if you think about the Apollo hardware, the Saturn V rocket, um, then the space shuttle and the space station, they were all done a particular way where NASA was pretty much in charge. We owned the hardware, we operated the hardware, and we made all the decisions. So what we meant by commercial spaceflight is we were 
basically transitioning or turning some of that activity over to the private sector, allowing them to own and operate their own spacecraft, and we would just pay for services. So that was a very big cultural change for NASA. We were used to being in charge and making all the design decisions. Are you gonna use this kind of tank? What kind of avionics are you gonna use? What kind of thruster are you gonna launch from Kennedy Space Center, which is where I am now, or from Vandenberg or from Virginia or one of the other launch pads? We would make, historically have made all those decisions. With commercial crew and cargo, cargo was really the first program that we did this way in 2005. We said, private sector, you guys make those decisions. We will just set some top level requirements about what we want, but you decide how to deliver that to us. And then they would bring those designs forward and we couldn't say, well, we don't like that. We could only say if it met our requirements or not. And if it didn't, we would say that doesn't meet our requirements and here's why, but we wouldn't tell them how to fix that. We really wanted the trade space to be as wide as possible for the private sector to innovate and bring their own creative juices and their own creative ideas and energies to the problem of spaceflight. Maybe things that we haven't ever thought of before. And we got some very, very innovative designs. And so that was a big challenge, I think, for the NASA personnel, because we felt like that was ours, right? That was, a, that was something that only we had been doing for 40 years. And now we were handing it over to the private sector. And so uh, we, it was kind of a cultural shift for us. I'll give you one example. Uh, historically, when we did things sort of the traditional way where NASA was in charge, we'd hire a company to sort of build the hardware. Those companies, we would call them contractors. Just like when you hire a contractor to build your house, you are the customer, you dictated all the design solution. I want my bedroom of this big, I want it over here with a big window. We'd essentially do the same thing. We'd call the private sector organization our contractor. With commercial projects, where they were making a lot of these design decisions, we were partners. We called this a public-private partnership. So I had to relearn and re-educate our workforce to say, don't call them contractors, because you get into this um, customer-supplier relationship. Call them your partner. And I'm like, wait, partner? Are you kidding me? Yes, I'm not kidding you. If you say contractor, put a dollar in the dollar jar, in the tip jar. Uh, so that was just one uh, way that you had to sort of get over this cultural issue of just the way we had always been doing business. And now we were doing it in a big, a different way. And that was a challenge for a lot of the historical, uh, I'm sorry, the, the NASA workforce that had been around a long time. And then technical, there's always technical challenges in human spaceflight. It's a really hard thing to do. Um, you need a lot of smart people in various technical disciplines. Um, you need people who know about propulsion. You need people who know about structures, software, soft systems engineering, just a large, well-educated workforce. And there's always going to be challenges in each one of those areas. And our commercial customers, I'm sorry, our commercial partners experienced a lot of those challenges, a lot of the ones that we did as well. And I think we had 50 years of human spaceflight experience that we could transition to our partners and it made them go fast. It allowed them to go faster and overcome the challenges that we have seen in the past quicker. And so it became a very, very powerful partnership to bring the public sector and the private sector together on these commercial spaceflight development programs. You're now preparing to launch the next crew on a SpaceX rocket and capsule and return the crew that launched in November to Earth. 
what does it mean to have returned U.S. human spaceflight launches to the United States with this capability? Well, I can only tell you what it means for me and my colleagues at NASA. It was huge. We had spent 10 years since the retirement of the shuttle uh, in 2011 not flying at all in terms of using our spacecraft. We were buying rides from the Russians on their Soyuz spacecraft, uh, sending our astronauts over to Star City where they would train and they would fly on the Soyuz. So we were still flying in a sense, but we weren't operating the spacecraft. We weren't gaining that knowledge and that's what we do. So it was really tough for that decade to not have a human, human access to space, to not be operating a human transportation system uh, at NASA. And even today, we're not really operating the spacecraft, SpaceX is, but we are intimately involved with the mission, hand in glove uh, with SpaceX. As I said, we are partners in this mission. Um, and so it was just super gratifying, amazing uh, to reestablish US human access uh, to space. Our astronauts have another way of getting up and now more astronauts are going to be able to fly. We can bring more astronauts to the International Space Station, which means more of them can be performing research and doing science on the International Space Station, which is exactly why we built it. And so now we have more crew time for those experiments. It was just extremely gratifying. And for those of us who were sort of um, championing this new way of doing business, it was very gratifying that it went successfully. Uh, because there was a lot of naysayers and a lot of skeptics. And um, it was just very gratifying to see that mission. I have to say SpaceX really stepped up, did a fantastic job. We also have another partner, Boeing, who we hope will be flying astronauts uh, in the very near future. Um, they're just a little bit behind SpaceX. And then if you think about it, we will, for the first time in U.S. history, have a redundant capability to independent systems to get humans to space, something we have never had in our history. It's going to be amazing. Yes, that is a whole lot of money and very significant. Uh, it, congratulations on that. So tell us about private astronauts and private astronaut missions. What do you envision there? So that's another um, sort of amazing thing at this time in history. Now with SpaceX, for the first time in history, we have a commercial capability from a private sector organization to fly people in space. We've never had that. Civilians have flown to space, paying their own way, but they had to pay the government of Russia to do that. Um, and they went through some third parties, but you were basically using a government system. Now, SpaceX has a commercial capability that they can sell to anybody that has enough money and is in good enough health uh, to fly. Um, so it is pretty expensive and you're gonna have to figure out a way to pay for it but we are seeing now all kinds of different ways and different kinds of people that can fly to space. If you think about the old black and white pictures of the Mercury 7, uh, they're not all black and white, some of them were in color, but they're all, they were all extremely fit military personnel, test pilots, um, and that was sort of the, um, the model for basically astronauts even today. They have to be extremely physically fit. We train them for a long period of time because they're gonna go up on orbit and they have to be able to perform because they are doing a lot of experiments. They're doing a lot of mission critical activities. They have to be um, physically able to handle the rigors of space flight and to do their jobs. So they are very, very physically fit. They're medically at the very high end of health in America. But today, basically anybody that can 
can fly if you can afford it and have to pass some fairly basic medical um, uh, criteria. It's not anybody. Um, there are certain health conditions that would prevent you to fly, but the, uh, the, the addressable market, so to speak, has grown significantly because you don't have to be an elite um, physical specimen to fly. We're going to see a lot more regular people with dad bods and mom bods and any kind of bod uh, that can go. Affordability will be an issue. Uh, certainly in all modes of transportation, when you first um, introduce them, they are very expensive. And then we've seen over time, they come down. Air travel, car, tra automobile travel, railroad travel, it all starts out fairly expensive. But then entrepreneurs come into the market, costs go down, competition gets into play. And we hope to see all those uh, with human spaceflight as well. Um, but even with it being so expensive today, this one of the first this first mission that SpaceX sold, it's called Inspiration 4. One person bought the whole mission and now has auctioned off uh, seats to basically regular people who couldn't afford to fly themselves. And yet they're getting a seat. So uh, we've also seen other ideas for TV shows and other sponsorship opportunities that might allow more regular people that haven't won the lottery or haven't sold their own company uh, or made a lot of money that will be able to fly. But long-term, the hope is that these costs will come down so that more quote unquote regular people uh, uh, can fly. And it's within the means financially of more and more people every year. That's, that's what I see. Now that we have the capability, that was the big hurdle. But now that we have it, I only see it getting bigger, less expensive, more people flying, they're going to not be happy just floating in space. They're going to want to do things. And when they do things in space, that's going to attract more people, more people going to want to do more things. I just see it as a sort of self-reinforcing process where more people will be flying every single year, uh, which I think will be fantastic. So for companies, investors, and entrepreneurs who are considering low earth orbit ventures, where are the bigger opportunities now? What needs do you foresee that don't have fully formed solutions yet. Yeah, so um, I'm, um, well, I was going to say I'm an engineer, but I don't really do engineering day to day. I'm more of a manager. Uh, I'm not really a business person. Um, I did spend uh, 20 years in the private sector working sort of business ventures in space, but not so much anymore. So I'm probably not the best person to say what is sort of the next big thing. But I will tell you, based on my experience, I do expect the space tourism market to be very robust in the future. When I was in the private sector, we did a very large market analysis of all base, um, basically all space markets that anybody had ever envisioned. Um, uh, manufacturing, pharmaceutical development, athletic events, just anything that anybody had ever conceived of. And we did a fairly um, uh, objective analysis of the terrestrial competition, how much it would really cost to do that, how many people would be really willing to go. And the one market that had huge potential was space tourism. And we're just seeing that emerge now. So I am very bullish on the space tourism market. Uh, I think as, just like I said before, as more people fly and they see it's something that um, sort of everyday people can do. And it's not just this crazy thing that only astronauts can do, and it becomes reliable and safe and sort of in the public consciousness. I just think 
it's going to really help this Leo economy to get back to your very first question. I see it all sort of coming together in the, probably the next decade, probably the next 10 years are going to be very um, determinative in terms of how big and how robust this Leo, commercial Leo economy is going to be. So then how does a new private sector entity link up with NASA to become a contributing partner? There's lots of ways to do that. I mean, you just go to the NASA website uh, and you can see about our different missions. Um, there's a lot of ways to do business with NASA. And I think we have a specific link on our main homepage on how to do business with NASA. You don't have to be a huge uh, aerospace or defense contractor um, to interface with NASA to become a supplier uh, of NASA. There's a lot of different ways for even small businesses um, to partner and supply NASA with goods and services. And we like all comers. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, we're seeing all kinds of businesses pop up now. Now that costs are getting a little bit lower, um, business cases can close now that couldn't close before. And a lot, it's just a very, very dynamic time to be in the aerospace industry. I think 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, obviously information technology companies and the internet was the really exciting place to be. And aerospace had gotten somewhat stagnant, I think, 20 years ago. But this transition to more economic activity, more business activity, more private sector activity has really energized our community and our industry. We're seeing more young people, more diversity come into the industry which means more creative ideas. It's just, I think, really invigorated our industry. And it's something that I hope a lot of young people will look to in terms of a career going forward. Phil McAllister, Director of Commercial Space Flight at NASA. If somebody wants to connect with you, Phil, or maybe they just want to find out more about all of the work that you're doing, how can they do that? Just go to www.nasa.gov and tro troll away. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sites on there. There's a lot of information. You could probably spend two or three days just looking at the content that we have on that website. Um, and then there's always uh, email addresses for people that you can contact to get in touch with somebody or to ask a question. Uh, we love interfacing with the public and answering your questions. It's one of the funnest things I do when I go to schools and my old fraternity and talk about what I do and the reaction that we get. It's, it's, it reminds us of why we got into this industry in the first place. So please send us, send us your cards and your questions. Well, thanks again, Phil, for your time explaining all of this and congratulations on all of your current success. Thank you. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.